Hello, and welcome to the Decking Awesome Games podcast, where we talk about how to create your own board game, our journey through the board game industry, and chat about board game culture in Ireland. My name is Owen, and I'm joined by the awesome Kira and Brian. Hello. Today we are talking about creating your final prototype. We are going to discuss why you should create a high-quality prototype, doing it yourself, and the artwork and components. We've previously discussed making your first prototype, so definitely check that out on the other side of the prototype creation story. So, what is the final prototype? I suppose the final prototype is the uh, is the last prototype you're going to have. I mean, it sounds obvious. <laughs> the last prototype you're going to have before you either go to manufacture or you're selling to a manufacturer, whichever, depending on whichever route you're going. Or publisher. Um, or publisher. Or publisher, sorry, thank you. Ideally, you want this to look as close to the final final product that you have in your mind as, as you can get. But obviously, if you're making it yourself or if you're sending out for it, it might not be the same high quality that a mass manufacturer is able to, is able to do. I think the, the main difference between it and the first prototype is the first prototype is that they're done like as quickly as possible so that you don't dwell on it too much and you don't get too attached. Earlier prototypes don't have to be the final vision. They're just to test out how the game plays or how the components work together. Whereas the final one is more like now you've solidified. It needs to show that you know what the vision, what your final vision for the game is so that it can be really clear that this is what you're going for and what people think at this point is really, really important. Yeah, so this is this is the one you want to use to hype the game. Whether you're you know you're making twenty copies of it and sending it out to all the publishers and going, hey, do you want to buy this? Or whether you're taking it to conventions yourself and going, hey, everyone, look at this. We're going on Kickstarter soon, or we're coming to the market soon. Whatever you want people to look at it and go, wow, I want this. Yeah, definitely. It should be the components should be quite clear. You shouldn't have to kind of say much about the game when you're uh, showing it off to people. You can still do playtesting kind of events. We're showing off the game and kind of demoing more so at that point. And this is kind of showing off your final product. Um, and there shouldn't be a whole lot of questions as to what the game will look like. Um, it should be pretty obvious. And if it goes to previewers, that they could get the box in the post and they could play it yeah. without needing help. So Yeah, that's it. Open it up, read the instructions, not have to email you with 30 questions going, what's this, how does this work, what's that happening? It should be your ready-to-go... You know, if you put this on a shelf today, that people would be able to pick it up and, and run with it. Because while it'd be great to be standing over everyone's shoulder watching them play a game, you won't always be there to explain instructions or explain components and all that. Okay, so that, that leads us on to the next question of uh, why create a final prototype? I suppose it depends. If you're, if you're selling to a publisher, you ideally want a prototype that's going to convey the best aspects of the game. It's going to show, uh, you know, how the game works completely in its final state as it is a lot of publishers will like to put their own artwork and style on it so if you're developing a, a game to sell to a publisher maybe don't drop a whole lot of money on artwork that you know the publisher they might use this they might end up scrapping it and using their own in-house designers or whatever if you're manufacturing the game yourself you want it to be eye-catching you want it to appeal to everyone so uh, you want to create a game that everyone's going to want, they're going to see it, they want to pick it up, find out how to play it, use it, and ideally be there, ready to go when you launch it on Kickstarter or when you uh, when you manufacture it and sell it yourselves, whatever whatever route you're taking. Yeah. And the other big thing is to make sure that it all fits together. So maybe you had cardboard cut out squares early on and you decided halfway through the 
the prototyping and the, the playtesting section to change to cubes. So then you maybe had part of a prototype with cubes and part of a prototype with squares, cardboard squares. It's to, it's to get that full feel of is everything consistent across it? And are you like, do you have two things that are really, really similar that people now might not be able to tell the difference to? Whereas early on in the playtesting phase, it was very, very obvious because you had two components that were very, very different. Yeah. So when you gather together everything you can that's as close to how you envision it being manufactured, then you can see if there's consistency across all the pieces. Are you using too many random materials? Like, could you change certain things for other things? Yeah, the components of the final prototype is very important because the, uh, a lot of games, you'll have components have a certain style or aesthetic, or it also maybe do something cool, like a new type of component that no one's ever seen before. And the final prototype is, is a great place to say, here is what I think the final manufactured component will look like and how it'll act and how it'll look. And this is a great spot. Instead of it pretending like early on in the prototyping, you'll probably just have like a, like you said, some cardboard cutouts and stuff like that. It won't look like it. And you're kind of using your imagination for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Where now is the time to kind of invest in what is it actually going to be? What, is it going to be some sort of dexterity game with a balancing mechanism? How is this actually going to look? And what's the kind of overall aesthetic? I suppose one of the good points about artwork is is if you're planning to publish the game yourself, that you know the artwork all makes sense. That symbols are easy to understand, and that by just looking at the board, especially if you're going for a language neutral type game, that the symbols are obvious what they are and what they do. Obviously, if you're selling to a publisher, they're probably going to put their own style on it. But for your own type of prototype, if you're uh, if you go this is what it will look like more or less this is exactly what it'll look like when we release it you need to be checking now that all the symbols make sense that uh, all the artwork works together that everything is obvious as to where it goes because you don't want people going on threads and boards later on commenting going this doesn't make any sense what should i do with this you know what does this symbol mean so now is a good time to be making sure you've got all those tweaks worked out because at this stage of the final prototype you should be fairly happy with the game the game shouldn't really be having any changes at this point maybe minor tweaks here and there but for the most part at this stage it might just be little tweaks to the artwork to have it flow better so another uh, important point about checking the final prototype is to investigate whether some of the things that you might have been holding off on like printing things double-sided are going to work so things like Playing cards and tokens can be printed single-sided or double-sided. So let's say you always had in your mind that you were going to print the tokens double-sided. But obviously when you're hand-making it in the early prototypes, that just might not be practical or might just take too long. So you print everything single-sided. You should at least have one final prototype that has it double-sided so that you can actually check if you're playing the game, whether that works. Maybe you thought, I'll have a you'll only ever need one or other of the values. But what if you get in some unusual scenario where you need both sides to be displayed at the same time? You're not going to be able to check that until the very end when you have actually played the game with the prototype the way it's going to be. So that can be on playing cards or it can be on tokens. Uh, but it's, it's probably something that in your mind you always said you're going to change. But when you actually do it, it could have other consequences. Yeah, this is this is where the things you hopefully you've been thinking about during the prototype stages comes to life. So like there's certain things you can't really test until this moment. So like the box sizes, 
like uh, like you mentioned, Gera, the components, whether they're all going to fit into the box, uh, what kind of components style you're going to go for. Um, and this is kind of where hopefully all this work will pay off. So uh, things like, you know, colorblindness, uh, iconography, all that kind of stuff. Mm. This is where all this stuff kind of comes into place. So when you're creating a final prototype, um, it's also a great way for showing your supporters and backers um, kind of a great representation of the final game. So if you are doing a Kickstarter or you are going to manufacture the game, going straight to manufacture, this is a great pl- time to kind of show off your game, give it to people, go to demos. Okay, so the next question then is, uh, where do you start? So I guess the most important thing is to categorize everything that you have in the latest prototype that you use to play test. So take all the pieces that you use in that prototype and put them together in, in groups. So your cards, your cardboard components, maybe playmat, game board, depending on what you have, and try and figure out, first of all, for cardboard things, big pieces and small pieces are even good enough to separate out. Like player mats can be one piece that a manufacturer prints or that you print, or if they're small, they can be just punch outs, like other things. So try and categorize how, how you would envision them yourself. For like deciding between a punch out and a game board, do you need any like plastic wrap or anything along the edges of the, of the board? Even that little detail of like, if it is a player's board in front of them, maybe you want to put some extra effort into the edges. Whereas with a punch out, it's just gonna be a cardboard edge. So you're not gonna to get to do anything. Maybe that's all you need. Uh, the player board might just be used in only occasionally and not all the time. So you kind of have to take every single piece and decide exactly what it is. You have a cube. Do you care if it's a plastic cube? Do you care if it's a wooden cube? When you're choosing your components, try and group them. So if you have some plastic and some wooden, can you make them all plastic? Can you make them all wooden? Try and categorize each thing like that. And for playing cards, are all the playing cards the same size? Ideally, you'd really want to try and get everything to to match but if you can't and there's one or two cards that aren't the same size do they need to be playing cards or can as part of the deck or can they be done by just very thin cardboard so you kind of have to just ask yourself a few questions about each component to see what is it actually important that it does especially for like things like miniatures and things how complicated or simple is the design so suppose miniature gets into a whole new section but if that's what like they're really popular on kickstarter so maybe you really want to you think that it really brings your game to life so having things like that means you've got to put in a little bit of extra work into thinking about how did you make your sample miniatures or are you leaving your your miniatures to be something you design when you actually go to manufacture in which case what are you going to have for your final prototype can you buy little tokens in shops to try and show what it would be like to play with miniatures you want to ask yourself all those sort of questions at this point make yeah. sure you're happy it's a, it's a good point as well that when you're putting all your things together and deciding what needs to go where it, it'll help you with especially in the final prototype decide what needs to be exact and what has a bit of variability because a lot of manufacturers will have you know they might be able to do a certain shape very easily and cheap whereas if you need something else uh, you need a specific cutout shape. They might have to make a mold, which is going to increase the cost. So if you say to yourself, okay, well, you know, I have little components that stack, so they have to be an exact shape, so they can't change. Whereas if you have if you have little cardboard tiles that you're using to keep score, 
say uh, you had in mind that they'd be an inch by an inch uh, but when you go to the manufacturer they say oh well you know we can only do an inch and a half by an inch and a half if you want an inch by an inch it'll be an extra kind of two grand to make a, a cutter to do that you can think to yourself all right well you know it's not critical if it's a little bit bigger whereas you'll know the pieces that need to be exact and you'll know which pieces have a little bit of flexibility yeah i totally agree with that and thinking of your components as a whole also helps because uh, like you mentioned kira if you have some wood and some plastic if you have them all wood that'll reduce the cost for manufacturing and also you'll be able to discuss kind of with you and the, hopefully the manufacturer or whoever is doing your final prototype kind of what they are good at and what kind of choices are the cheapest but also make sure that your aesthetic and your game flow and the quality is still good so you know it's always that value for money kind of thing and um, what do your customers expect the quality to be and um, like if they're expecting minis are they expecting them to be very high quality minis or can they be little wooden meeples it depends on the type of game and kind of what uh, the, your supporters will want uh, and this is that those are the, those are the kind of times where we want to decide like the overall cost of the game and when you go to a manufacturer to get your final prototype done they will obviously give you a rough estimate as to how much it's going to cost you cost them to make based on the information you've given and they might have suggestions on how to make it cheaper how to make it more expensive components that they'd suggest that are maybe last longer or more durable because i know for us when we were creating dice summoners our biggest uh, component we had to worry about was the dice yeah and uh, when it come to creating our game we had to come up with a way of showing off our final prototype but also knowing that we wanted engraved dice and knowing we couldn't do that for our final prototype because the cost it of engraving very was expensive yeah was too much and we also didn't know who our manufacturer was so we didn't want we had a, we, we were talking to manufacturers at that point and we had some like general ideas but we weren't going to commit to anything at that point so there's no point in getting them to have an engraving if they weren't going to do our final prototype so we ended up using stickers on the side of our dice that was that qu it was quite nice and it was quite clear but we also made it clear to our supporters and our backers that this was not it was going to be engraved yeah quite high quality dice so that they're more durable because obviously when we were showing off demoing our final prototype you know there's a little bit of wear and tear onto the stickers yeah. and dice and we knew that, that was a problem but we also thought that this is the best way of showing off the final prototype and they look quite nice yeah they look better than just normal stickers and hand-drawn symbols like they were in the previous prototypes but we knew that they were just going to get better. Yeah. So, yeah. And there was a, like, having the stickers made us see how much wear and tear there'd be. So let's say we were, so we were considering uh, all of our options and silk screen printing it was an option for the dice. And you could tell by the, when we create our final prototype, because we use stickers, we could tell that because there's so many, there was 20 dice in the game, now you might not use all of them, but because those dice hit off each other so much, that printing using something like silk screen uh, would never work because those dice hit off each other constantly. And you could kind of you solidify that if you did want to say it cut costs, that wasn't the place to cut them because it, what, it people's games weren't going to last. And some games even, some small manufacturer games, do have those dice that kind of have ridges in them and you can put stickers on them. Yeah. Uh, and even that, it would have obviously worn down pretty fast. For us, so we knew that they, they weren't paths that we could consider during the manufacturing process to save money. Yeah. So it really, really helped. And we did, while we didn't uh, engrave a whole set of 
dice. We did go to a, a laser engraver and get a handful of dice engraved so that we could make sure that it was really clear when you did engrave them. We, we put paint in to the engraving and we checked that it was really, really clear, each of the symbols. So even just trying out the engraving on one or two dice ourselves with, a, with laser cutting, which wouldn't be the same as the way manufacturers mould it, but would be close enough, was, uh, showed us the, how visible the symbols would be when we went to final manufacture. So in our heads, we knew that if we did choose to, to, to get those dice engraved, that it would come out really, really clearly. Yeah. And we actually got them moulded in the end, but I suppose we got to choose between moulding and engraving, whereas we knew the sticker path and the silk screen path were the wrong path for us. Without meaning to be giving away too many plugs, there's some great websites out there like Cartamundi have a make your own web, your board game game and Game Crafter, and there's a few others out there. If you have a look on Board Game Geek as well, there's there's a few threads about um, websites that'll make good quality final prototypes for you now they're often limited in the amount of shapes and things they can make um, and the sizes and that but if you're able to to kind of custom the game a bit or even if you just order some of the components from there and some of the components elsewhere and um, you can really get very high quality final prototypes for w without without kind of breaking the bank for yourself and um, components like minis and cutouts and things like that if you have a friend with a 3D printer or you know a 3D printer in your area somewhere, um, you can you can get them. So while they may not be the exact quality of the final mass-published game, they'll still look quite good and give playtesters and crowds an idea of what they're going to be looking for down the line. And like resources locally. So maybe for manufacturer, you're going to go abroad or you're, you, you may not go to China, but you might go to somewhere further away than your local library but when you're creating a prototype you can just utilize the local facilities like so in ireland a lot of local libraries have 3d printers in them but there's also 3d hubs which is like a a website online where you can check other people's 3d printers yeah uh, and it'll tell you all the 3d printing places in the local area so those group sourcing websites are really really handy or etsy had we created plastic shields before we had decided that the plastic shields didn't really add anything and we could just make cardboard tokens. We got a set of plastic shields off Etsy and were able to use those components and they were laser cut plastic shields. So it, it really made us see whether there was any value in, in adding those sorts of things. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff you can get without having to go too far. There's loads of laser cut places that will do cardboard and plastic components. And, and all of that really, really brings it together. When we drew in Garden of Bees, we created the final prototype. And that was so that we could show off some of the really nice artwork, but also the how we imagined the player mats to look and our 3D printed bees. And bee the, meeples, our beeples. <laughs> I still love them there. <laughs> and the dice as well. And then we create the box. And then that, when we create the final prototype, we realized it's quite a, a big game. And... It also kind of shows off how we expect the final game to look, which was great for us to be able to uh, see all the ideas that we came to come to a fore, but also allows other people to see how big the game would look on their shelves and kind of, you know, what kind of component quality they're going to get. Uh, so they have minis and uh, all sorts of things like that. And it allows us also to kind of go to manufacturers and show off the game and publishers and show them kind of what the team was and kind of immerse themselves into the game 
uh, much easier. And we actually sent our final prototype to the manufacturer before, so uh, not for garden bees, but for dissimilars. We packaged up one of the final prototypes that we created and sent it off to them so that yeah. while we had spoken mostly through sending them files and showing them pictures, them having the prototype meant they asked a lot of interesting questions about yeah. whether what they were making is exactly what would end up being something similar to that to that final prototype. Yeah, which leads on to a good point of making several of the final prototypes instead of just one, because you need at least three or four. You're going to be demoing it in places. Uh, you're going to be giving it to other people, maybe to do reviews, like uh, you know, uh, pre- Kickstarter previews. Depends on the publisher. You might have multiple publishers in mind. Uh, usually, you want to be there to show them the publisher. But um, if you already have contacts with a publisher, you might just want to send one off. And yeah, you might have multiple people on the team working together and having just each one having their own copy. Make sure everybody has a clear idea as to what the game is going to look like. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know a lot of publishers will, when they're looking at new games, they'll go to big conventions and they'll collect a stack of games from people who are looking to sell them, and they'll go back and over the course of a few months they'll play out they get play out the various games and decide what they like, what they don't like, what they could work with, what might need changing, that kind of thing. So if you're if you're spending a couple of hundred euro on each prototype, uh, you might never see these again. The publisher might, you know, take months and months to get to them. At this point you might have been to downhearted. So if, if you're making the prototype to send out to publishers, you know, you want it to look good, but you don't have to break the bank doing it. The publisher will understand that, you know, you're not you you don't need final quality, like he can just wrap it up in plastic and stick it on a shelf ready to go. But if it's for, you know, demoing yourself and sending out to reviewers and things like that where you want publicity for the game and you want to show off its best qualities, you want to kind of get the best you can. And again, without breaking the bank, but the best that you can get for that uh, for that copy. Yeah, because that's the thing I noticed uh, quite a lot with the final prototype versus the final actual game is that it's going to cost you a lot more than you might think for creating your game. So if you can imagine the cost of the prototype, it could be like three times, four times as much as the actual game is going to cost. Or I'd um, say even to manufacture. more. Yeah. yeah. There's some things you can do to cut costs, but if you really want to show off, it's going to be a good bit of money. Yeah, like um, the box and the playing cards and maybe the cut out to- pop-out cardboard tokens, they might not break the bank, but if you have any sort of weird component... You have to talk about like manufacturing that component from scratch when it comes to like you know three D models, dice, all sorts of other things like that. That they can they can really rack up ratchet up the price. Anything new and stuff can cost a lot. Um, there's ways like some of the things to cut costs. If you are trying to if you are on a tight budget, it can be cheaper to get a playing card like one of those websites that do custom decks of playing cards to make your cards rather than one of the board game prototyping websites yeah so if you want to save a bit of money get them to do the cards and combine it with any of the unique prototypes like player mats or uh, game boards from the from a, a website if you can wait if you're going to get custom dice like and you can wait get them off somewhere like aliexpress or something and wait the 12 weeks it takes to ship from over there <laughs> because Honestly, in Ireland or Europe, it can be very expensive to get those pieces in. There aren't people who are manufacturing those. If you want them to be engravable, then 
you need a very, very specific type of material for them to be manufactured out of because any of the ones with PVC glue in them can't be used to engrave because it uh, emits toxic fumes. Yeah. So those two things combined mean that you, there's really only a handful of places that sell those dice and it's going to be really expensive. So get them from China and get them cheap and just give yourself a lot of lead time. Get them early in the process when you know that's what you want. And then for cardboard cutouts, can you just... Yeah, use a crafting knife and cut out the pieces like okay so it won't the edges might be a little bit rough laser cutting if there's a laser cutter service in your area getting them laser cut is actually probably not that expensive brilliant we had gloss sheets stuck to pieces of cardboard yeah so we did all that ourselves and then the tech create which is a local place that laser cuts cut all those out for like i think it was like 15 yard cut out hundreds of hundreds things. Of tokens yeah yeah so that so. was just print them on photo quality paper, uh, glue them to some thick cards that we bought on Amazon, and then it was just a case of getting them to the getting them to the laser cutter who was able to, you know, cut out all the pieces in a couple of minutes. Yeah, we told him the distance between each of the the uh, pieces, yeah. and he was able to align everything and get it all sorted. And that made a big difference because we were pretty worried about how we were going to do that yeah the time it would take to cut out hundreds of these tokens and how the edges might look a little bit frayed but laser cutting looks really high quality so if, if so you're yeah, able to if you, yeah if you can get the laser cut it looks better but if you can't get it and you have to go to a manufacturer to get punch outs done like from somewhere like game crafter or cardamundi that can be a bit more expensive so try and balance the how much you can do yourself maybe you want one set made by cardamundi and then the rest you can do yourself cut out mm. or maybe you can get them all laser cut and they look pretty good quality yeah your your rule books as well even something that simple uh like getting them done with you know the the game manufacturers can be expensive but you know pop down to your local library or print shop or something like that and they can usually run off a little booklet for you if you have a pdf for a euro or two it can save you a fortune if, if that's the route you want to go with it. Yeah. Th- those services, like the Card of Money and Game Crafter, they offer a lot of other things that probably the other ones won't. But you just have to think yourself, what can you afford? Yeah. So it might be a case of dividing up where you get your six different components that are in the box. So one place is printing your box, one place is printing your rule book, another is doing your tokens, someone else is cutting out your cardboard pieces... And someone else is doing the stickers for your dice. It's just up to you then to put it all together. But that's, you know, an afternoon sitting down with a beer, watching some TV, putting everything into boxes. Easy peasy. And if they are as close as possible to the final product, as to exactly how you're going to get them manufactured, then getting them all from different sources is worth your time because you're getting a really good feel for what it's going to look like. Hi, so we talked about... Uh, companies that will do the whole process for us like Game Crafter and we talked about third party suppliers such as like 3D hubs to do laser to do 3D printing and like our library to do uh, the brochure booklets and that, that brings us onto the question of can we do it ourselves yeah yeah so are, yeah. are, there, are there some components that we can do that um, you know like because you, you mentioned using a, a crafting knife to cut out some of the cardboard punch outs is there other ways we can kind of save money but still get a good final prototype um, if you if you want it, it's uh, like for for first prototype right up to one before final, I'd I'd nearly always do everything myself. Just you know, it takes a while, but 
it doesn't have to be presentation quality but things like playing cards and stuff like that if you want you know design them up on a big a3 sheet go to a local printing place they'll probably even guillotine them for you and you know for 10 euro on amazon you can buy a thing that rounds the corners and they look good quality and um, they don't have to be you know what's it the linen cards that are really thick and durable especially for a prototype that you're sending you're sending out it won't look as good as the companies that will print them large scale but the, you can still get them to look very good if you've designed them well and if you cut them well yourself i know things like 3d printing unless you, you happen to have a 3d printer at home can be tough to to source yourself you kind of mentioned a good point there of as you prototype your, yourself and you create your own prototypes it's like an iterative process you'll get better at creating your own prototypes and you'll have a better understanding and knowledge mm. as to how to create these components and i think it can be up to yourself to decide how far you want to go down that path because the more time you do spend going down that path you'll save money yeah because you'll know what components can be made you'll know how hard certain things are versus other things you'll know how like how hard is it to make a game box well if you look up like tutorials on youtube and look look up stuff online it wouldn't take you that long to figure out how to create a game box it might not your first one might not look good but you can that's an iterative process and depending on your game and how many components there are, you can actually get away with doing quite a lot. There are people who have been doing this a lot longer than you have uh, who are going to be creating playing cards and boxes like Game Crafter. Uh, so there is still a lot of merit in getting someone else to do it. Mm. But if you want to, uh, if you know what you're doing and you have good confidence and they look really good, I'd say definitely go for it. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot of good tricks online, as you were saying. Uh, even and It's a very good point on learning how to make better prototypes yourself as you go along i remember with garden of bees that the early tokens we were cutting out we wanted them on card but and we also wanted them to be hexagons so what we were doing is we were I, I was here cutting out little hexagon sheets of paper and then i was trying to cut out identical shaped hexagons of card and then i was trying to figure out how to stick them together but it was only a, a matter of time before you know now i was printing out a whole page of them i was gluing that to the cardboard and then starting to cut and then I figured out that, you know, if you just line them all up properly, you can just cut them all out with a couple of cuts rather than have to cut each individual shape out. And as you, as you do go along, you start getting better and it becomes easier and you'll pick up tips and tricks yourself. Uh, talk to other designers who've done similar things and they'll probably save you hours and hours of work. And even on things like on Amazon, you can get 100 hexagons for pretty cheap. And if you print it on sticky paper... You could cut out the shapes yeah. and then stick them on the hexagons. So the only thing is be careful that you're not falling back into the rough prototype design. So like things yes. like drawing on dice is a really cheap way of making custom dice. But that definitely doesn't come across as well as even stickers. Yeah. Uh, so balance the, balance the line. You want this final prototype to look good. So you want to maybe splash out on a few things. Splash out on getting nice edges on things and don't make them look like they're cut up with a scissors. Uh, but you could, if you're putting a sticker on top of a nice hexagon that's been manufactured properly, yeah. then that probably doesn't look too bad because putting a sticker where the edges aren't all jagged is perfectly fine. Yeah. It looks like a final quality, uh, or maybe not final, but close to final quality. Yeah. Uh, so try and balance it. I think things that people really notice are like edges of, of components 
Yeah. Like, even if they just cut flat, doesn't matter what material they're made out of, people don't seem to mind. But if, like, you take a cardboard sticker and it goes over the edge of some cardboard, it just doesn't look very well. And um, other things people notice are, like, fraying and stuff like that. So if you cut the cards yourself, put them in card sleeves if you, if you need to, or get them made by playing card companies, because you can get as cheap as, like, 12 euro for a custom deck of 52 yeah. cards. So maybe that little extra... Okay, so it's not the one in card of money where you can pick all the fancy edges, but you get it close enough. So splash out on a few things, things that are going to be really obvious, but don't go overboard. You don't necessarily need to 3D print the things. Maybe you can just use cardboard tokens. Nicely done cardboard tokens will look as good near the final stages. Exactly. This this comes back to the uh, thing of being clear and uh, concise with the uh, manufacturers or the publishers as to you know who you're going to give this final prototype to and show off uh, and also your supporters because if you have a list of things that you have to tell your supporter or your publisher that these aren't what's going to be in the final manufactured product then uh, it's going to be kind of harmful and um, now you're going to have a list anyway even if you, if you get it done at Carton Monday and you get the highest quality products and you get stuff sent over from uh, China that are really nice and laser engraved stuff you're still going to have a little list of things to say this is what the component's going to look like manufactured and then you know like the cards are going to be linen say you're not maybe not splash out for linen in the final prototype and you're going to have a list it's just trying to keep that list small as possible without breaking the bank because um, if you can and you can make a prototype quite cheap that means you can make more of those prototypes, which gives you a better chance. But if that list is huge and you have to explain this to your supporter and you see their eyes kind of glaze over uh, on the fifth item because they know that this final prototype doesn't represent your manufactured game, yeah. then you, you've kind of lost it. But if, if you can get it as close enough that the person goes, oh, it's only just like these three things, like this small three changes, I can imagine that easily. Um, and, and they know that these are easy things to fix yeah. in manufacturing because if they if, if you say um you know oh the box will look uh, different or it's got this kind of glaze or metallic sheen on the front of the box i just didn't want to do that for a final prototype they might go well maybe they don't know how to do that and then maybe you don't have a lot of trust that you can do that whereas if you have like a you just try and do a metallic sheen it doesn't look so good they'll go at least he knows what he's doing there's uh he's looked it up and um it's just a, a certain different change for a manufacturer then it's about giving confidence in whoever sees this final prototype that you know this manufacturer copy is going to look exact is pretty much going to look the same as your final prototype yeah i think that's a fair so as high quality as possible but remember that it is definitely going to cost more than your final product will but so you want it to look nice and to sell itself nearly and be as creative as you can like if there are things that you really think like for Garden of Bees, so the game appealed to kids a lot. Having cardboard tokens for the for the main playing pieces wouldn't have sold the game as much. Like we went for 3D printed bees because that seemed to it gave them a more tactile experience when playing the game. Yeah. So even though cutting the corner, cutting the costs on, on those would have made a big difference. Maybe if you think that miniatures are actually going to help the gameplay or help people interact more with the game and understand what pieces they should be moving as opposed to what pieces are just for keeping track of things that it really engages the person that's great 
because miniatures have become so popular online these days, there can be a point where people are just adding miniatures for the sake for the of adding sake miniatures. Of miniatures yeah. yeah. So if it isn't to actually make the game more enjoyable, like or for the pieces that you interact with are just the only miniatures. Adding miniatures that you don't interact with that are just going to sit on the game board and not be touched. Is there really a point in that? If it does look good, great. But if the person isn't going to touch it or interact with it, like, make sure you're not just doing it to uh, just appease the, yeah. the current trends. Well, yeah, because this, this brings up a great point of, in reality, what happens when you create the final prototype is you're going to show it off to someone and it's going to start a conversation or a debate. And the, if it's a publisher, they're going to ask you questions about why you chose certain components. And so if you have minis in your game and uh, they ask you, all right, well, why did you choose these minis? And like they might go through some options of like maybe bigger minis, smaller minis, no minis. Because you created this final prototype and it looks like your game, you got a good starting off point to discuss why there should be minis in this game. And it also helps you as a, um, as a developer to decide whether you want minis or not in your game. So you can have these conversations with, your, with yourself before you um, go to manufacturer, uh, before you go to the publisher, and then when they ask you about, like, you know, cardboards and boxes and, and playing cards, you'll know all this jargon, you'll know all these words, you'll know exactly how to respond to it, and because you've thought about this, like, a dozen times beforehand. Yeah. And remember as well that, you know, if you've gone from a prototype with no real artwork on it at all, barring maybe a few pieces of clip art people will use their own imagination to as to what it's going to look like once you slap a final for yourself anyway artwork style on it you may come across people who go oh well you know that's not really what i imagined or i don't really like that art style or it's not for me try not to take it to heart because you're never going to design an art that's going to appeal to everyone i mean look at compare euro games with the kind of almost oil painting style artwork to something like king of tokyo that's bright and colorful and explosions on the front cover like they're nothing alike just because someone doesn't like the art style doesn't mean it's a bad game if someone goes if you start hearing comments like oh you know that doesn't really make any sense i don't like the way the art there kind of hinders the play i have to look at it and then go consult a rule book and then come back and try and figure out what it means things like that yeah you might need to adjust but if someone just goes, oh, you know, it's not the style I had in mind or I would have made this look different, you know, don't take it to heart because a final product is a final product. You know, you're always open to changes, but it's not, you know, it's never going to appeal to everyone in the world. I know with, with Dice Summoners, we, we got, when we put the artwork on it, we got a, a really mixed review. Some people coming up going, I love this. The artwork is perfect. It suits the game ideally. And that's exactly what we thought. We thought it's perfect for the game. It works really well with the style we had. But then you had some people coming up going, oh, I don't like it. You know, the artwork looks, you know, it, it's not very modern. It's not, uh, it's not in keeping with whatever the current zeitgeist is, like what's really popular at the moment doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for your game. And ultimately, I'm glad with the, the artwork style we went with because it, it was true to the game and it suits it very well. But just because a couple of people don't like it doesn't mean that it's a bad style or artwork. It just won't appeal to every single person. Yeah. It, this, this is also the, uh, yeah, this is where you can decide what your game is going to look like before you start getting into, you know, publishers and you start getting into uh, manufacturers and, maybe other people and, uh, you know, 
uh, Kickstarter and stuff like that. So yeah, it, is a per- it is a perfect moment to kind of uh, put all of your ideas and all of your teams and styles right onto the game. And uh, one of the things I suppose we didn't do that probably we should have done at the time was it, if you do plan on manufacturing yourself, this is the time to talk to distributors. If there's something that they see on it that you could change at this point to make it more in line, or if they see the final prototype, they can give you a cost point that where they'd see it being sold for. Yeah. And maybe you can get some advice to just make any minor adjustments to your vision if you can at this point. So you can see if, if they're going to be more willing to stock it uh, because of some minor changes or some yeah. little things that they think will help you. Or if they pick a cost point that they think that it would sell for. Yeah. Maybe adjust your manufacturing or the components you're choosing to fit into that cost point at this point. Yeah. So the distributors will know what the shops want to buy and the shops will want to buy it because they know what's selling to customers. So having a chat with a few distributors, especially at big conventions you're at, is a great way of kind of even making small tweaks that just make the game visually more attractive to someone walking past and catching their eye kind of thing. So that's a very good point. Yeah. And so, yeah, so get it out there to as many people. If you have a final prototype, uh, it gives people a better vision. And people don't have to spend as much time, like manufacturers and distributors and publishers. If they see a final prototype, they go, okay, I don't have to put in a load of work to getting this over the line. This person has a clear vision. So, okay, maybe they don't have the final artwork because you're selling to a publisher, but it really, really conveys what it's your sales pitch. If it's good enough, it can sell the game for you. Uh, to some degree, without you having to do as much of it. They don't have to go, okay, well, explain to me that component. Why is that like that? You know, some of it will be visually explained, and then you'll still have to explain the final detail, but you really reduce that effort for yourself if the final prototype is good. I totally agree. I think that about wraps it up for creating your final prototype. If you want to share your memories of creating prototypes, or just want to chat, then feel free to comment down below. We've been decking out some games. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. Bye.